Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Championship Cast. Uh, oh yeah! Joining you this week, Steve Haller as always, Christian DeGuzman as always, and special guest Mike Ostrowski. How we doing, buddy? We're doing. We're doing. We're, yeah, we're definitely doing great. I mean, the, the, this is obviously the soccer that everyone in the nation is tuning in for, not whatever's happening in Qatar, right? I. I would say so. I think all all of us, at least on the pod, are more interested in this than the World Cup at this point. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, I I know uh, I know Mike, you're a recent convert from our uh, <laughs> our, our our noon's Church of Soccer. So uh, so, what's it like watching these guys in your what is this uh, second second look at them? Uh, or wait, what third 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 technically? But ah. yeah, it's when I said Syracuse was soccer. Her school, I get that article probably back in September, yep. early October. Uh, I, I did not expect them to go all the way to the college <laughs> cup, uh, but uh, I see why Mac has the rep that he does around here. It's been a really fun team to watch, and it's been the only sport on campus this year that I've actually gone to a couple of games, not as a reporter or a photographer, <laughs> or anything, so that should tell you how much I've been enjoying it. Yeah, I told everyone that when I was at Syracuse is that I've been to four games as a fan instead of a media member at Syracuse, and two of them were soccer games. Yeah, that sounds right. It's uh, well, it's funny because you know the nice thing with soccer is there's no actual press box or press room, so you know you're in the bleachers. <laughs> yeah, like you you can go on credentials as an actual fan. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. which worked out nice for me last game. I got you know saved ten bucks. <laughs> yeah. And then nobody told me they were holding an actual press conference. Uh, the minor details. Minor yeah, details. apparently they were holding an actual press conference in uh, Ensley. And I, I walked out of the field expecting Mac. And I looked around. I'm like, there's no. Okay, I'm just going to go home. Yeah. So, whatever. But uh, that was the, the game before they headed down to Cary. And if anyone is living under a rock and didn't see Friday at mm-hmm. 6 o'clock, uh, they decided to do their, their uh, best survive and advance impression. And, uh, you know, kept it going and took down Creighton. Unlike Engel, and they converted their chances. Mm, I see what you did there. Uh, 
yeah, there were no there were no skied penalties a la Harry Kane. Um, and there's still a good chance that the College Cup is coming home to Syracuse. So we'll see. I, I doubt I, I doubt everybody's going to be singing that when they come off the plane. But uh, I think uh, I think there is a chance. Uh, I mean, tomorrow against Creighton or against Indiana at six, you're playing college soccer royalty. So we'll uh, we'll see how they match up. It's it's only this. It's only the program with the second most championships in NCAA history. Right, and the the number one is St. Louis, who hasn't won a title since 1973. Yeah. So, actually, hasn't made a tournament since pretty close to then, too. Or College Cup. Hasn't made a College no, Cup no, since no, then. No, no, College Cup. Yeah, no, yeah. they've been... They, I'm pretty sure they were hanging around in the low 20 rankings this season. Yeah, they had a couple of solid years through the uh, through the course, too, mm-hmm. but haven't been able to replicate that that success from the... You know the the early heyday the the original American heyday of soccer back, <laughs> yeah. back when the uh, the old NASL league uh, was mm-hmm. doing its thing. So, um, yeah, if anyone doesn't know, um, Indiana, very very solid team, um, Big Ten. No, not Big Ten champions. They lost to no, Rutgers, Rutgers in the Big Ten final. Um, proceeded to take that loss and turn it into them. You know, uh, beating up everybody on the way to face. Uh, Pitt in the College Cup semis uh, took it to Pitt two nil in the first half uh, off of a uh, penalty rebound um, from Edwin Vandesar's son uh, Joe Vandesar who saved the penalty. I made that joke a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I didn't actually realize it was his son. Oh yeah, I I actually looked it up and then I was like, oh oh, it really is. Okay, um, that's incredible. Yeah yeah. So my actually one of my good friends was like. Well, Casper Schmeichel wasn't quite as good as Peter, but this is a, a little different level of drop off. Yeah. Um, like, but uh, but yeah, uh, Vandesar spilled the penalty. It dropped right back to the foot of uh, uh, God. Was it? I keep wanting to say Hollingshead, but it's uh, something similar to that. No. Uh, he's he's an MLS player, so don't worry <laughs> about that. Um, but either way, they converted the the rebounded penalty, and then uh, a. a really nice right before that like 17 seconds left in the half uh zero angle shot yeah that uh, was nuts to go up to go up to nil and just coasted from there um it was basically a tighter version of the Neymar goal yeah yeah I could see that um n- not to be confused with Neymar crying after those penalties or yeah and then, yeah okay small um, details <laughs> so so yeah um we we since we are officially a soccer pod, we have to have to start there, and I'm sure there'll be many more things to talk about uh, after tomorrow's match. But um, since uh, I don't know, did did we have any anything else you wanted to touch on on the Creighton Creighton match or the Indiana match moving forward? Um, it'll be interesting to see how Mac adjusts to Indiana, and we saw him adjust pretty quickly against Creighton, much more quickly than. I think we had anyone expected to since mm. Mac usually brings on his subs with about 10 minutes left, 15 minutes left in each half. And he brought on Jackson Glenn as his first sub about halfway through the first half and then switched formations in yeah. order to counter Creighton. So it's hilarious. I've written so many articles about the team since that game that it didn't <laughs> even dawn on me that that was the game on Friday. Yeah. Normally, I'm a little more spaced out, and things don't seem so <laughs> rapid fire. But yeah, that that was a quite the tactical mm-hmm. shift that really it essentially paid off. Yeah, going from three five two to good old 
90s England 4-4-2 and it helps them shore up uh, the midfield a bit and uh, and shore up the back line from a couple of the long balls that were being sent to Duncan McGuire. Not all of them, but a couple of them. Well, and you actually, you saw it kind of shift a bit almost to that, uh, the Bob Bradley, uh, Bob Bradley empty bucket, like that four two two two, with yeah. uh, with Jonah and um, Noah kind of pushing up uh, a little ahead of the midfield and kind of creating that space in behind that um, you saw either Nate or uh, Levante kind of pop down into to fill some of that space. And uh, it, it definitely was a very different look, and it seemed like one that shored up those channels real well and kept Maguire from doing Maguire things. Well, no, didn't con- didn't didn't keep Maguire from doing Maguire things, kept him no. from doing too many Maguire things. So. Yeah. He, he definitely got the better of Christian Curdy a couple of times yeah. and converted some of those chances. Duncan Maguire is the college soccer equivalent of Thanos. He really is inevitable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised that he only got second team All American honors and like what he showed from that game. Like that was that was a I mean, he's a good player. Well, it's it's nice as a Syracuse fan when the person who got first team honors over him was Levante Johnson. Yeah, yeah. And then the third Small team details. guy behind him was Nate Poku. <laughs> Small details. So when when Syracuse's two star forwards are your you know are both All Americans, okay, yeah. I'll take that. First time in program history that um, either it was either in program history or under Mac that uh, they've had uh, two double-digit goal scorers. It's one or yep. the other. Yep. Um, and both of them, I think, I think they were both co-team leads. No, because uh, Johnson Levante, got one extra. No, yeah, Johnson has yep. eleven, and Apoku has ten. Yep. And the one that put him ahead was an assist by Apoku. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, but I think the, the the telling thing from a lot of from that game as well is that pretty much all Syracuse's goals, maybe except for the first, uh, no, even the first one, because you could call it, uh, all Syracuse's goals came off turnovers. Yeah, all transition. Uh, yeah, and, and and it wasn't necessarily a transition on the first ball, but you know, right. you capitalize on a mistake from from the keeper, and then. And then quick attacks and transition in the second half. Yep. So. No, that was that was very key, and I'm, and with a better defense in in Indiana, I'd be interested to see if that works again. Well, the nice thing though is it's a better defense, but it's not as prolific an offense. They have no. they have a very solid well, but midfield. Honest, but honestly, statistically wise, Indiana offensively and defensively is middle of the pack. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems they're they're also getting hot at the right time. Yeah. So, it's and uh, they may have it the two time Big Ten Defender of the Year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and two time consensus All American, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, it's he, small details. He's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they uh, they should they should put up a hell of a fight. But I think I think as you can stretch him. Yeah. I think they can stay strong enough at the back. There, there's no channel threat like uh, McGuire on this Indiana team. That's and that's the only thing that stretched this defense at all is being able to play Route One against them. And I don't see Indiana being able to do that. This game seems ripe for a Kirk Kalov start. Yeah, yeah, Kalov over Singleman, and you know, play that, uh, play that nice 
offense down the right channel and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, it also wouldn't surprise me to see him slot somewhere. At, well, that's you can't really take Baselli out at all. You can't really like he's he's shown himself. The, the problem with Kalov is the, the way that he plays. He's either got to play up top or wide. Right. Like I mean, the the way that Sar- and especially in the way that Syracuse wants to play. The midfielders, whether they're attacking or defending, have to be physical and aggressive. Mm-hmm. Since and you he's, have he's, Sinclair as the defense, as the aggressive midfielder, Kachowski as your box to box. Sinclair's never aggressive. No, never. What would give you <laughs> the what would give you that? The washing yellow card. Yeah. <laughs> I Luckily, lo- he didn't. Very lucky that he didn't get one in the in this in the uh, Creighton game. Yeah. Because because as the broadcast pointed out, if he got a yellow card in that Creighton game, he wouldn't be eligible for the final. Right, and unlike uh, unlike the unlike the World Cup, they don't wipe going into the semis in college. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. Um, I don't know. Uh, we didn't have enough noon bu- noons bucks to actually send me down to carry. So here I am in my basement. I'll be covering it tomorrow. So you'll see. Uh, you'll probably see some some live tweets from Christian and I, and probably Mike if he's watching it. But uh, I know I know everybody's deep in finals down there. So. Yeah, believe it or not, I still have a Monday night class tomorrow. Ooh. Yeah. Bye. Not great. Not great, Bob. Um, so, yeah. Well, you yeah. to do. That's frustrating. But, <laughs> but I will say, if I go into this, SU Athletics actually made a good marketing decision related to the College Cup. Mm-hmm. Thankfully. <laughs> yeah. So, they moved the Monmouth game back an hour tomorrow. They're going to let fans in early, have a little watch party. They're selling pretty cheap tickets. I think there's only 10 bucks that you mm-hmm. can get in for the cheaper sections to watch get in early, watch the College Cup, and stick around for some, for what, knock on what should be an easy mobile, uh, men's basketball win. One would think. I, it's now, the the only way this gets awkward is if it goes an extra time. <laughs> yeah, that could Just get pretty funky. Put the game on hold. It's. <laughs> it's the team with the third worst scoring differential in Division One basketball. They See, we could do that if that we could do that if that game was online, but unfortunately, that game's on ACC Network, so uh, TV contracts and everything, you know. But yeah, yeah, you you did bring up a huge point. It's it's nice to see SU Athletics actually, uh, you know, marketing in a positive direction for a change or getting ahead of something. So we'll. Uh, We'll hopefully see some butts in the seats for the College Cup final and uh, stay there for Monmouth. I know if if it weren't for the fact that I had to write it up, I'd probably be more than happy to swing up there. Seems like a fun time. That was yeah. That seems like a a very interesting experience to say I, the least. I know my uh, my what was it ba- back in '03? My wife was you know living in Syracuse at the time and said she went up to the dome when they were broadcasting the run. And it was it was a it wasn't you know the same as if they were playing there, but it was that same kind of atmosphere um, you would get from like a World Cup watch party or um, you know a, a bigger watch party for a, a game, and it was just cool to be doing it at the dome. And the plus side is, uh, at least in this iteration of the dome, you know you have a bigger screen to watch it on. That's true. No matter what you can say about anything, that screen is still very nice, <laughs> and is very big. <laughs> Not quite Jerry World, but it is very impressive. I'll give him that. Yep, I'll take it. Um, actually, the I still remember the first time I sat down for football this year. 
like I had seen it during the spring game, but I sat down in the press box and I looked up and I'm like, oh yeah, that thing's still big, like really yeah. big. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're, and, oh, go figure. Yeah, I'm like, oh. Well, it's well because for the spring game, you know, they didn't have all the graphics going and everything flashy and whatever. Yeah. They had some things up there, but it wasn't anything crazy. And then, you know, I, I went down when I met up with you and Kevin, Mike, and uh, when we're sitting down there, and it's like, okay, it looks fine. It's a, it's a screen. It's great. But when they it's had when they had everything going, it's like, oh, okay, now I see why they did that. Yeah. So. Um, I guess. Well, speaking of speaking of dome updates, should we segue that into some some talk about the recent announcements for official changes to the uh, the dome seating? Seats, seats, and of course they're not going to be here until after I graduate. They're supposed to be here next year. But that always it always works out that yep. way. Like that is the that is the firm hard lesson of Syracuse University is that all the good things come after you leave. Yeah. No, and it's it's every university. I remember when I was playing at Union, we finally got rid of the old carpet turf with the concrete underneath it and got real field turf. And then that was installed the year that I got injured and couldn't play my senior year. I was like, oh, we finally got great things that I can't use. Mm-hmm. Yay. So we all Congratulations. feel your pain. We 100% <laughs> feel your pain. <laughs> But um, yeah, for anyone who didn't, again, for anyone who didn't see there, um, they they have announced that they are going with the blue seating. They showed some mock-ups of it. It looks pretty solid. Um, mildly intrigued on how it's gonna gonna ultimately turn out and whether the conceptual, because as anything ever happens with these large projects, whether the conceptual is gonna actually be what we see. Um, so. I guess more to come when we get closer, but at this point, it's a uh, you know a solid solid uh, look to the future for what we're what our what our butts can be less cold sitting on and less painful sitting on in uh, a couple of years. And I know a lot of people wanted orange seats, but um, given the reasons that Pete Sala gave, and given the renderings that uh, Syracuse doc, uh, that uh, Q's released, well, the blue seats actually look pretty good. Oh, absolutely. And and I think the the orange seats would have actually made it too orange, and it would have been it would have been awkward. Yeah, I, I'm one of those guys that originally did want the orange seats too, but then uh, Andy actually brought up a pretty good point about how having the like a strong color like that does not work wonders with empty seats. Uh, it's that way out in Pittsburgh now with the Steelers, and uh, I could very much see that in the case again here for some of those early season non-conference football games that aren't going to sell out so, yeah, so it's not just it's also not just with the Steelers when it, when you have a Pitt Panthers game there it's quiet well I haven't I didn't make it out there for that game this year so but but on TV, on TV they didn't even show that many crowd shots but on TV like that place sounded quiet yeah about that I believe it they just need to put a hard roof on it. We found that out. Yeah. I'm sure maybe maybe be... that field would actually stay intact if they put a roof on it. <laughs> uh, good old... it, it, it wouldn't get broken up by the halfway through the second quarter. The, the house the ketchup built. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I still – that will. it's it's one of those stadiums that will just perpetually be Heinz Field. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't care what they actually call it. 
Kevin Brown called uh, the dome the carrier dome at the end of the Georgetown game. Oh, really? Yeah. See, the, it's weird. Like, having had that my whole life, the carrier dome thing doesn't... I think just because I never referred to it as the carrier dome, it just never really... It's like It doesn't seem as weird to me. Like, it's still the dome, so it's like, all right, it's fine. Yeah, but, but you still call Destiny Carousel, so... True, that's because I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we're at, what, how many minutes? <laughs> 22. Perfect. So, so yeah. Fun, I fun didn't times. take that long. <laughs> no, that's that's pretty solid. Um, Speaking of things that are old, Syracuse Georgetown, because we touched on that. <laughs> might as well. Let's let's send it. <laughs> that was something. You, you guys are the basketball needed. guys. Don't look at me for this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was something Syracuse definitely needed. Um, because and it's weird because it, Syracuse's games now are starting to follow the trend of God, it looks ugly for the first 12 minutes, and then Syracuse may or may not figure it out. And I think that's every Syracuse game this year, where it's just a back-and-forth slugfest where Syracuse looks awful for the first 12 minutes, and then magically something happens that either turns the game into a Syracuse loss or a Syracuse, a Syracuse blowout loss or a Syracuse win. Yeah, it's been like that every game I've been at. Even the, if you announced uh, 2 and 8 Oakland. They had exactly, yes. Start. But, uh, and I'll admit, when I, when I turned the game on, I was actually covering something on South yesterday, so I was not at the Syracuse Georgetown game. But uh, I watched the beginning here. It, it just about turned it on, and I saw the score was ugly to start. And the, my first thought is, we're really doing this again. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, I had the misfortune of being at that debacle last year. And uh, if it happened two years in a row, I was at that point, you just discontinued the series because you're only shooting yourself in the foot with it. Now, thankfully, that didn't happen. Yeah. Oh, no. If it happened again, Patrick, you would have been given an extension. <laughs> That's not happening. No. No. So it's, it is kind of weird. Like the whole. I I saw zero of the game outside of the highlights because I thought it was a three o'clock game. And then my mother proceeded to call me and ask me if I was watching the game. And it was right as Syracuse was making the comeback. Like she called me because it was really bad. And she's like, oh, they're making a comeback. And I was like, all right, I can't turn it on now. Like I'm the superstition. Yeah, con- con- congratu- <laughs> contractually obligated. Right, like the, the butterfly effect could like throw everything all akimbo. And I was like, mm-hmm. I can't turn it on now, but I hope they make the comeback. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I had it penciled in, literally had it in the calendar as a 3 o'clock game. I was like, oh, it's it's not like I have multiple resources on this website that we write for that may have told me it was a different time or whatnot. No, it's not like I put out a uh, TV streaming and time info article. <laughs> literal before a literal um, article with that in the title of it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like I'm doing that for two games tomorrow. I also, I mean, like right. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. if that if that lets you know, I didn't read that article, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Thanks for supporting the site. Uh, hey, if I did, it would have been in chorus anyways, and it wouldn't have uh, counted yeah. towards clicks. So, Honestly, I do that. I do that sometimes yeah, as well. Just... Uh, let's get back to the Georgetown game. Welcome back to oh, Georgetown. Hey. an absolute podcast where we ramble on off-topic uh, stuff before we get to the things we want to talk about. <laughs> Troy, um, Troy Nunes is an absolute SB Nation back-end uh, discussion. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's our sister podcast. Yeah. 
So, again, for those who live under a rock, 83-64, your win against Georgetown, Syracuse has defeated the Hoyas. Uh, again, also, shout-outs to Kevin Brown, the Syracuse alum, who was on the call for the game, who had an excellent ending call uh, to tell everyone what the time was um, without saying, and Georgetown sucks <laughs> at the end. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> like, the final sentence of his out was it's 2.59. That's... That is utterly yeah. amazing. <laughs> like a, he started his final sentence with its two fifty nine. It was incredible, um, and it is. This game was impressive because Syracuse is finally continuing to do the thing that we want them to do consistently, and that's give Jesse Edwards the ball. Yeah. Yeah, and it it should not have been that hard to figure out that the offense just works much better when you run it through Jesse but here we are also want to give a shout out to somehow some way John Ebola Jock having significant contributions to the 2022-23 Syracuse Orange and non-sarcastically he's been their best option setting up plays on the offense he's been the, he's filled in the distributor role much better than I think anybody would have expected him to this year well, he's, he's also been their best wing defender, basically, hasn't he? Yeah, just John Bullock, for some reason or another, has turned into the best wing defender on this team. I, if you'd have told me that before the year, I would have told you, go home, you're drunk. Exactly. It's just like I, how a kid who was in the transfer portal last fall was, yeah, whatever, in the offseason. Wrong sport. Yeah, Sorry. It's not offseason. Um, <laughs> but yeah like comes back it doesn't transfer comes back and is a major contributor right now i mean kudos to him like clearly something clicked because through his first couple of years here at syracuse did not look like that no no they didn't he's he's definitely putting <laughs> the work in the offseason um after apparently after realizing hey i'm gonna stay here he's Took it to his advantage. Took it to his advantage, so. Yeah. I mean, grabbing, being the second leading rebounder on the team is an important statistic for a team uh, that decidedly doesn't rebound. What, so. What's what's a re is Is rebounding the thing that the women's team does well and our men's team does horribly? Potentially. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Say, tell, tell that to someone three years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, when, but, the, when uh, the women's team was just standing outside the arc for the yeah. entire game? <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and you mentioned, uh, Mike mentioned John Bullock's, uh passing. And he actually got some help to uh, this uh, in this game. Because Judah Mitz finally played like a point guard. Like, it took a while, but Judah Mitz finally turned into the point guard that Syracuse needed him to because he had 10 assists. Double double with 16 assists for with 16 points and 10 assists. Shout out to the double the double double on the 16 points coming from a 10 of 11 day at the free throw line. Hashtag free throws matter at Brennax. Mintz was only three of nine from the floor. But hey, you get to the, this that's another thing that also helps with Edwards getting the ball. It clears out space for people to do stuff at the rim. And then recovery fouls always happen. 
is true. And so that was, you might not say from an offensive point of view, it was the best game that, like from a scoring point of view, it wasn't Mintz's best game. But from an overall com- composite point of view of the entire body of work, that was Mintz's best game as an Orange player. Yeah, and he's getting there. He's. We figured just because of how the offense is set up this year, it's going to take him a little while to develop his two-way game where the only score, the only real true score is going in the year where him and Joe. So, you know, having just a very limited rotation, he wasn't going to get a ton of good quality chances. And at least he is getting those free points. He's not missing at the line. He's taking what's given to him. And now that he's being a little more aggressive and re- adding rebounding and adding some de- plays on the back end, I feel like he'll he'll start to break out pretty soon. We're going to need him to break out pretty soon to once we hit ACC play, but uh, he's on the right track. I'll give him that much. Say that when Mitz becomes a facilitator and passes the ball, especially in games where Syracuse need him to, like, Good things usually happen. Like Syracuse has only lost one game where Mintz has had four or more assists, and that was the Illinois game. Huh. So, so your facilitator facilitating actually helps the offense and flow. One would think so. It's amazing when that happens. Like yeah. the whole the whole point of everyone saying we need to get Gerard off the ball was that he could actually play off the ball. And that, I mean, there's there's 8 million other things to talk about with Gerard, but, like, I remember that being a major yeah. discussion in the offseason of, like, hey, we get him off the ball and actually facilitate an offense because he's not a true point guard in any way, shape, or form, um, that, hey, this could help. And then we just get a more athletic what Gerard was doing last year for the first couple of games. And if he's turning I- that around and making it a, something that's actually – going to work uh i'll take it and i don't think uh, i i think what needs also needs to be said is that that win and the notre dame win was very very important for syracuse just based on the schedule that's coming up because it gives syracuse a good confidence boost heading into acc play and the first part of acc play is light for syracuse because the first three games after monmouth and cornell is acc play and it's Pitt, Boston College, and Louisville. Okay. So, well, one of them doesn't actually have a basketball team anymore, so uh, there's that. Well, well no, one of them attempts to play basketball. Their basketball team has played one game this year, right, against Florida State? No, I don't think they even play that. <laughs> Did they just flip a coin and decide who won? <laughs> yeah. That was still, uh, I think, a 22-point loss. It was bad. Yeah. Yeah, about that. Yep, it was yep, it was twenty two points, fifty uh seventy five to fifty three. Okay. Well then <laughs> in the game that someone had to win, someone won. <laughs> Louisville has broken the seventy point barrier once um this season. That was against Wright State. Um and they've only reached sixty points uh two other times. No, three other times, excuse me. Hmm. Yeah. So we can at least circle that on the calendar, hopefully. Mm-hmm. One would think. And then, and then you have and then you have Pitt and Boston College who are both still also attempting to play basketball. 
Yeah, yeah. It seems like that's always the case with them lately. In the, uh, it's it's great to be able to say that. By the way, in the post Jamie Dixon era, where anytime you said Pitt, I was ready to just run away. Mm-hmm. It's a big step up here. Pitt game should be interesting though, because Pitt does have Nelly Cummings on them now, on that team. And if that name sounds familiar, that was Colgate's leading scorer from last season. That'll do it. And, you know, uh, well, if Colgate had them this game, then might have been a different story in the Dome, too. No, there was one by more. Oh, yeah, we did actually lose that game again. <laughs> yep. Forgot about that. Wow. Welcome back to Chore News is an absolute podcast where time is a flat circle. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I literally, I'm looking at the schedule <laughs> and I saw 6880. I'm like, oh, yeah, we did eke that out. No, no, we <laughs> didn't. It says L next to it, not W. I gotcha. Um, yep. Yeah. No. Oh, we, this is Chore News is an absolute podcast where time is a flat circle and we're sponsored by Homefield Apparel. <laughs> I was going to say, there, there has <laughs> to be a better segue in, but nah, it's halftime. <laughs> no, it is halftime. We, uh, the Troy Newton's and Absolute Podcast is sponsored every week by our Home Field Apparel, your go-to shop for all your comfiest uh, vintage collegiate apparel. Got all your favorite Syracuse apparel from a 2003 National Championship uh, celebration shirt to a Vita the Goat shirt because who doesn't want a Syracuse goat on a shirt? Accurate statement. Like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. So uh, we have we have already started the campaign to pester the hell out of Connor uh, for the matchup on Monday night uh, between us and Indiana, since they are an Indiana company, or an Indianapolis company, and Indiana alums. They um, uh, they they may or may not have been bombarded with well, mostly stuff from the the main news account, but um, a, a plethora of requests for hey cowards, whoever wins this gets a shirt. So we'll see if we can get a 2022 uh, soccer national championship shirt out of them. And I'm not holding my breath, but that'd be amazing. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're already uh, making uh, hashtag nine win Indiana shirts, expecting Syracuse, uh, Indiana to beat Syracuse. <laughs> um, so let's make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, about that. Yeah, it is crazy to think that Indiana's won eight national titles. I can't remember. I had, in the article I did today, I had all of their, you know, college cup runs and all that. It was just, imp- I think in the 50 years of the program, they've made the tournament 46. Like Something like that. They're, yeah. the, first, they're the first program to reach 100 NCAA tournament wins. Yep. So, needless to say, they're good at soccer, and hopefully this year we're better. You know what Indiana's not good at? Football? Football. Yay, back to football. Indiana's 4-8 and eight and not going bowling. Syracuse is going bowling, but if you lived under a rock again. Also, welcome back to Troy News is an absolute podcast. Subtitle, if you lived under a rock, here's what happened. Yep. Yeah, that's that's maybe I should change <laughs> the title of this week's to if you lived under a rock. Yep. Uh, Syracuse is going to go bowling without its two coordinators that led them through this season. Both Tony White and Robert Arnay are moving to different schools to take the same positions. Tony White's going to Nebraska to rejoin with Matt Rule, who 
Both of them crossed paths while at UCLA, who was a coach and white as a player. And Ane is going to NC State. Uh, no reason given yet, but he has family ties to the area. So that could be a very good reason uh, for him going to NC State as their offensive coordinator. Uh, Steve and I did an emergency podcast on this on Friday. Uh, we haven't got a Mike's thoughts on that. So, Mike, let, let's get uh, your thoughts on Tony White first leaving for the Big Ten and the money of the Big Ten. Yeah, I think this is definitely the worst loss of the two just because of the culture he's built on the defensive side of the ball. And already we saw some, uh, it's column cryptic messages from Deuce Chestnut, which I pray is not hinting at a transfer, but um, we will have to wait and see on that front. But just the way that the defensive unit played this year, as banged up as they were, they still kept the orange in a lot of those games in the middle of this, in the gauntlet part of the schedule. And uh, he, he got the most out of all his guys. He's not somebody that he can replace easily. And uh, it, it, I, no disrespect to Monroe, but I, I, I don't think it's going to be anywhere close to the same, at least in the near future. That seems accurate. And there's, and it, and, and now it also now brings up the interesting thing of what do you do next? Um, the reports are nothing confirmed yet, but reports have been uh, swirling around that Nick Monroe is going to be the interim DC in the pinstripe bowl. Now the question becomes, do you stick with him as the DC, or do you try and find someone else to run to 335, or do you find someone else to switch systems? That, that's now the question Syracuse has to answer. It's not an easy thing to answer, but I think you at least have to explore your options. Don't obviously give Monroe the chance at the pinstripe bowl, but you don't have to give him the job right away. Test the waters a little bit and see if he can get anybody to bite. I truly don't know what the market is right now. If Syracuse has a real shot at getting a higher level defensive coordinator, but um, I think the worst thing that can happen. The worst thing is you don't get anybody to bite and you have to stick with an in-house option, but the in-house option shouldn't be the only option. Yeah, the the thing with Monroe is on the offensive side, you immediately saw Beck come out and be named. At least with Monroe, they're talking, in like the interim tag is there, even if they haven't officially announced anything on it. Um, but like there, there's nothing nothing hard and fast on that. So I would assume they're at least going to look and have a, a legit search for the D.C. side. Um, if it ends up being Monroe and he's the best candidate, more power to him. But, uh, you know, uh, the fact that, that within within 24 hours of the NA news, Beck was already being promoted as the new O.C. Uh, at least, you know, it gives pause to what they're going to do on the defensive side. And it, it shows good confidence in Syracuse as well to know that they have a guy that they trusted in-house to run the offense and also a lot more confidence to show that Beck wasn't going to join an A in, uh, and, and NC State because he had previously followed an A from BYU to Virginia and subsequently from Virginia to Syracuse. Right. And, then... and the two of them working together for so long, I think that's also why you should have 
a good amount of confidence in Beck because he, him and I have helped to build those offenses to what they were both at BYU and Virginia and to an extent here in, the, in their one season together. I think he's the closest thing to replicating the improvements we saw last year, hopefully adding on to that in 2023, uh, 2023 depending on obviously what we get in the transfer portal. Um, see if they still go through with possibly pushing the pass-first offense a little more. We saw steps towards that last year. And um, unless we get the surprise, Sean Tucker is staying around for another season announcement, then I think that's the, the better direction for them to go at this point. Yeah, I I'm definitely not holding my breath on that, but it, it would be uh I, I would be pleased with that announcement, but it really um uh yeah. I, I think uh, at this point it's a hundred percent given uh that what at least him, Bergeron and Mikel are gone. Um uh, not Mikel, maybe not. Oh uh I know Bergeron did confirm it in uh Mediops a while ago that yeah. he's he's definitely gone. And he walked so. on senior day too. Oh, by gone, gone, you mean like, like yeah, leaving, yeah. Well, yeah. Mikel's gone, Bergeron's gone, Tucker's probably gone. The reason I gave pause to Mikel is because it looks like he might actually play in the pinstripe bowl. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, they had uh, Syracuse returned to practice after a couple of weeks off after the BC game. Um, and, Syracuse, and Syracuse released on social media some practice photos. And Mikel was present in those photos. Well then, and he wasn't wearing a green jersey to indicate um, if he was a limited participant. Right. Huh. Okay. I mean, I guess as the you know um, as a captain and one of the metronomes on the team, that that would track. Like, it doesn't surprise me that he would play. It would. It will still surprise me if we see Tucker suit up. Um, Bergeron's probably a coin flip. I don't think he's going to play himself up by playing or anything. It's just going to be a matter of whether he wants to. So, yeah, that, that's another thing. Um, early in the week on a Monday, when uh, Schrader and uh, Babers had their presser, um, Schrader did say like he's looking forward to seeing the Quint Allen in the bowl. So I think that pretty much oh, okay says that pretty yeah, much yeah. says that Tucker's not playing. Yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing like saying it without saying it. Mm-hmm. So. Apparently, we're also seeing some Dan Valari. Oh, yeah. I still, I, I'm. No, you, neither of you guys would remotely be old enough for the reference, but he is 100 percent Thunder Dan from uh, the old, old school Phoenix Suns uh, Dan Marley, who was Thunder Dan Marley. So Thunder Dan Valari is going to be a thing. Kevin will, notice from the, notice, Kevin, notice Kevin from will 100% silence. appreciate it. You two, not so much. <laughs> yeah. Notice from the silence that Mike and I immediately did not get that. Oh, yeah. That's that's leaning into the old school. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was the 90s in a nutshell. We separate our Steve as old jokes by a span of 20 minutes each. You got to have a gap in there. Or they don't hit as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just bring it upon myself. It's fine. Well, it'll definitely be interesting to see. Um, it'll definitely be interesting to see LaQuint Allen play. Uh, luckily, like for Syracuse, they they still have they also still have a good running back that's coming in through recruiting. Um, Ike Daniels is one of the 
recruits who is highly rated in the recruiting class that is coming to Syracuse. And just this past weekend, Syracuse picked up a couple more players to join them in the class of 2023, one from the transfer portal and one from the high school ranks. One is less interesting than the other. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, um, the... let, let's let Steve handle the less interesting one, not because he is an offensive lineman, but just mainly because of the stature of the recruit. I was going to say not because he's an offensive lineman, but mostly because he's an offensive lineman. No, 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 no. I'm actually being serious. It's not just because he's not an offensive lineman. Because, as we know, Syracuse needs offensive linemen. They do. And, I I mean, I don't know 100% if uh, Joe Moore, the incoming transfer from Richmond, uh, offensive line grad transfer, uh, is going to be the answer. But he's definitely going to be an answer in the depth department for this, uh, this squad. Um, played five seasons at Richmond. Started for three of them. Um, uh, he that, that's I, I'm sure I could go back and find some film I'm sure I could find something on PFF for some of the games that they played against um, FBS competition but uh, yeah I mean it doesn't hurt to have another tackle in the in the the room so um, with the aforementioned Matthew Bergeron leaving we're also guaranteed to be leaving Dakota or losing Dakota Davis Chris Bleich has announced he's coming back. Uh, Carlos Vettorello is undecided at this point, though he did walk on senior day. So um, I think he was leaning uh, that way, unless Mike can now confirm that he's gone. Yeah, he also he also said in a media op he's leaving at the end of the year. Okay, so these are the things that we have people at media ops for. Good work, Mike. Because <laughs> otherwise I'm just spouting garbage here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the uh, so we're down to... As far as returners, Callan Ellis and um, Chris Bleich, and those two are guards, and we need some big bodies on the outside of them to do things. Um, right now, Enrique Cruz is the only one that I have a remote semblance of some sort of confidence in, maybe. Yeah, you would ish. expect Cruz to be starting next season. Yeah, at least one of the two spots, and then if we can bring... I mean, if... Let me let me put it this way. If Cruz is not starting one of is in one of those two spots... That means we brought in some good talent, like or something talent. horribly, horribly went wrong. I was gonna go glass half full, but we'll go that way too. <laughs> this is a Syracuse podcast. What are you expecting? Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so yeah, the and then center. I mean, right now it looks like Josh Aloa, <laughs> which which could only mean that the bleach is not far away from Steve. <laughs> Actually, the last uh, God, what game? What was? What did we end the season with? BC. Uh, Aloa did not look. Uh, did, he looked like he was getting a little more up to speed in that game. Um, probably a also a function of not being eaten alive by Clemson's interior D line, uh, which was the last time I distinctly remember crying uh, watching <laughs> the offensive line. Clemson, so, BC. <laughs> very, Two vastly differences in talent. <laughs> yeah, uh, drastic, drastic shifts in who they're playing against. So, um, also, yeah, not, uh, not great, but, um, yeah, that's, that's our status of the offensive line. Christian, would you like to talk about the other offensive line, maybe ish guy that's coming in? So this is maybe ish because, uh, Syracuse picked up a, another high school senior who will join us in 2023. Most likely his name is Vincent Carroll Jackson out of Harrisburg, PA. Um, and he's interesting. Um, the 
the uh, the stats in terms of the uh, biometrics are are uh, enticing. Six five two eighty five, and he's interesting because he's only played one year of organized football in his senior season, and the numbers, you know, jumped out as a defensive lineman. Uh, fifty five tackles, twenty four for loss, and three sacks. So, you know, it's, I mean, it's Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania isn't known that well for its high school football, but, you know, it's still uh, a decent, a decent shout. And when you have a body frame at 65285, it's interesting. Um, the other interesting thing is that Syracuse. It'll be interesting to see where the Syracuse plays on offensive line or defensive line, but defensive line coach Chris Achuff was the primary recruiter for uh, for Vincent Carroll Jackson, so he will most likely be a D-lineman. And this would bring in the second D-lineman in two years that's only played one year of college ball with Kevin Jobody coming in last year. Um, was, he actually did fairly well, yeah, considering. We, we saw towards the end of the year, he, he was <laughs> making a difference, like couple of sacks, couple of like he's he's going to slide into that edge spot pretty well, um, which I'm not going to complain about. Uh, I would love to see Carol Jackson slide into that nice tackle spot very very nicely too. Uh, this yeah. is a kid who had Florida, uh, Georgia, uh, and uh, I did also see confirmed um, Deion Sanders, Colorado offers, uh, Nebraska, Rutgers. Like there's there was some big boys looking at him. And it seems like um, maybe HF was able to sell the fact that, hey, uh, this this guy we just worked with only played one year of high school ball, and now he's, for better or for worse, ended up a starter <laughs> by the end of the year. And also the fact that, hey, we may need you. Yeah, uh, yeah. would you like to play? Because we need people to play. As, as much as I love Kayvon Darton, let's not do that again. <laughs> No, Kayvon Darton is amazing uh, at what he does, but he's also not 6'8", 285, or 6'5", 285. Exactly. And in all honesty, I mean, hell, Darton, Darton was a fullback in high school, wasn't he? I don't remember. Rhino 2.0, man. <laughs> but no, I, yeah. he, even even doing what he does, um, like Darton, Darton is a solid player and... I will be very happy with him on the field next year, especially after what he showed us this year. But if we can, uh, if we can bolster that position, it would be even better. Yeah. So he becomes the second uh, lineman to commit to the Orange in this cycle. Uh, he joins Richard Perry, who comes from uh, Bennett, the school that CNS hates the most because they routinely beat CNS in the state tournament. That'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, and twenty four seven, he's the third highest recruit behind uh, Lenora Sellers and Ike Daniels. So, ben, so so Perry looks pretty good. And also, uh, if Carroll gets updated with the other recruiting sites, he's an eighty seven on uh, he's an eighty seven on twenty four seven, and an eighty seven ranking would make uh, Vincent Carroll Jackson the second highest recruit in this cycle. Behind what? Sellers? Behind Sellers. Yeah. Who, thankfully, uh, if Beck is hanging around, should be still in the fold. Looks like he should still be in the fold, yes. Yep. Um, so, yeah, the the recruiting front is picking up. The 
Transfer Portal itself going the other way is still very active. Um, the uh, we ha- we're up to how many outgoing? I believe six. We are at six now. Um, officially, who, yeah. There's, officially, it is. I'm Anthony trying to Quilly. remember the people who left this week. <laughs> right. So yeah. officially in the portal, it is Anthony Queeley, Courtney Jackson, Dom Foster, all uh, wideouts or athletes in Foster's sense. I think he was originally in as a cornerback and switched to He wide was out. originally a cornerback, yeah, and switched to wide um, receiver. Which is probably part of why he's transferring. Um, Josh Huff, which is amazingly going to throw the fan base into a tizzy because, well, everybody seemed to want to watch the giant athletic man <laughs> do his thing. Um, Tyler Magnuson, one of the backup linemen, uh, and then Steve Linton. So Steve Linton of the the names mentioned. Um, well, no, uh, Courtney Jackson got plenty of snaps too, but uh, Linton is probably the most impactful of the the names in the portal right now. I would say, especially the position yeah, of need. Yeah, like for this past year, absolutely Linton. Uh, Courtney really tailed off compared to twenty one and. Uh, yeah. I, I understand why he he's on the way out and why all pretty much everyone in the group is a, is on the way out. What like Queeley, who came into the season as the number one and then ended up not playing more than like five snaps all year. No, he only played in garbage garbage time against Wagner. Yeah, and uh, and Jackson quickly got moved down to slot number two because Arande Gadsden became slot number one. I think that worked and out okay. That worked out okay. And sad to see Josh Huff go because basically Josh Huff was everyone's potential answer to what if Chris Elmore was a running back. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then what if Chris Elmore was a D lineman again? Yeah. So, again, similarly uh, to Foster, I got a hunch he probably didn't want to be on that side of the ball and took off because you can now. Yep. So, so yeah, Litton, Litton, we lose some pass rush. Uh, I mean, he was a pass rush specialist. He got plenty of time in that role. Um, it's already a spot where we're pretty thin. Uh, the question is, what ultimately is it going to be? You know, uh, is it going to be a huge detriment to lose him, or is it going to be something we can backfill, barring injury? Because, well, this is Syracuse. This is Syracuse. <laughs> oh boy, good old injuries. Well, doesn't uh, except for Booster Show work doesn't look like Syracuse men's soccer is dealing with too many injuries, and so it should set up a very very nice game to watch on Monday with the College Cup between Syracuse and Indiana, which is mainly what we're paying attention to. If you are more excited for the Monmouth game, then you're either a, not a soccer fan or a deranged individual. Yeah, go get your head checked. <laughs> I'll flat out say it. Um, no, so yeah, I think, uh, is that, that about where we're, oh, wow, we talked for that long about that. Yeah, we did. (laughs) cool. Um, um, yeah, so Syracuse is looking for its first program to win a national title since field hockey and men's cross country did it in 2015. Right, and that was the last time Syracuse was in the College Cup, uh, semis, so... It was indeed, and luckily we didn't have to go to penalties to figure out if that happened again. Mm-hmm. And that was apparently a very, very solid uh, Olympic sports year. 
that 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 really was actually yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess that's a wrap. Maybe it is a yeah, yeah. that is a wrap. Mike, um, uh, anybody or you wanna you wanna throw anything out for uh, where anyone can catch your stuff outside of on the site? I mean, you're my main guy still, so follow me at Amostrowski, that's O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I on Twitter if you want to catch other sports, Syracuse sports-related stuff. There's some Crunch and Mets stuff on there, too, but uh, other than that, that's really all I've got to plug. Yeah, until until Twitter officially implodes, we're all still there. <laughs> so somehow, somehow we've all made it still through on Twitter. Um, you can always figure out when this podcast goes live, when uh, we retweet on our Twitter, follow us on News Petition as well. And then on the podcast as well, make sure you leave a comment, leave a like, share it with your friends and family so that we can continue to expand the Ottoman Empire on your podcasting platform of choice. If you're watching on Twitch right now, thank you as always for joining in and watching on the Twitch stream. And as usual, we do these every Sunday around 8 o'clock-ish. So be sure to tune in back next week when we have another episode of Troy Nunes' An Absolute Podcast. And I think all that's left to say is, go Orange. Go Orange. Go orange.